0: Hello. Uh, my name is Vidhu Shekhar. I'm the India Country Head for CFA Institute, and I'm here with uh, Professor Mehidru Desai from uh, the Harvard Business School. We are at the ninth India Investment Conference where Professor Desai just uh, presented on his book, The Wisdom of Finance. Hello, Mihir.
1: Hi. How are you? Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks. Amir, to start off with, uh, you use a very interesting analogy between finance and biology in your book. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to do biology was that most people think finance is connected to physics. You know, there's usually that kind of connection that some people make. But part of the point of the book is to make it more human-centric. And so the distinction I try to draw is between molecular biology and sociobiology. So molecular biology is uh, obviously, a, at a very micro level, and there is not that much kind of complexity of human interactions involved in it. And that to me is what asset pricing is in finance. You know, as you know, finance is kind of broadly split between asset pricing and corporate finance. Asset pricing is about how risk is priced, but risks are basically, and instruments are just disembodied things that we have to price, <laughs> um, which is a lot like molecular biology. The real messiness of finance comes in the sociobiology of corporate finance where we say, yes, there are these instruments that we trade, but underneath them are human beings with motivations mm-hmm. and all kinds of preferences. And that turns out to be much more like you know, sociobiology than than molecular biology. So I, I wanted it in ways, I wanted to kind of bridge finance to life sciences as opposed mm-hmm. to physics. And you know I thought the best way to do that was to kind of make that kind of connection. And that's what the book tries to do more generally is to make people appreciate finance not as something that finance people do but as actually something central you know to our lives
0: great great so so you're connecting finance with literature art cinema and everything uh and there are many many stories in your book can you just pick one uh and illustrate it so that we know what's happening in your book
1: sure yeah no there are many stories i mean I, i'll i'll choose uh the one uh, about Lizzie bennet and pride and prejudice mm-hmm. so um You know, we talk about risk management in finance, obviously, a lot. And as I was writing the book, I kind of returned to risk and its management as a central idea in what all of finance is about. But usually when we talk about risk management and options and derivatives, we talk about it in a very high-flying way with stochastic calculus or diagrams or things that most people don't find that interesting or appealing. (laughs) But the other way to talk about these things is to talk about uh, Pride and Prejudice and Lizzie Bennet. And you know the storyline for many Jane Austen books is fundamentally a risk management problem. Uh, Austen is quite clear, uh, you know, young men can make mistakes, but young women cannot. Mm-hmm. And so the plot line of those books is uh, a young woman, Lizzie Bennet, in the case of Pride and Prejudice, who has these suitors coming along and basically has a risk management problem, because some of them are rich but drunk, and others are nice but poor. And she's got to decide what to do. Um, And it's interesting for many reasons, um, which is the first is those plot lines show it as a risk management problem. So, for example, uh, suitors will play on Lizzie's risk aversion, trying to get her to say yes to their marriage proposal. But more interestingly is these characters give voice to financial solutions that we think were invented in the 1960s Mm. and 1970s, like diversification and option strategies. But 150 years earlier, we have characters saying these same things, which is to deal with this risk management problem, I wish I could diversify. To deal with these risk management problems, I should construct an option portfolio strategy. So to me, that was important both because it's much more interesting to talk about diversification and options in the setting of the marriage market than it is to talk about it purely in the context of instruments. And I wanted to make it clear that a lot of this high flying finance that we think and many people think was some scientific development from the 1960s, is in fact deeply rooted in the way human beings think. You know, we've been doing diversification forever. We've been doing option-like thinking forever. Um, And that's part of the larger project of the book, which is to connect or reconnect finance to people's lives, as opposed to being some specialized esoteric set of knowledge.
0: So when we teach finance in college, uh, should we, you know, use Pride and Prejudice and other settings? uh,
1: I think so. I mean, I think the revelation to me about this whole project for me is, you know, stories are the way people organize their thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, as an economist, I do traditional economic research, empirical and and theoretical research. And when you're trained as an economist, you forget how important stories are because you distrust stories Mm -hmm. because they're just anecdotes. Mm -hmm. You know, N equals one. You can't trust that. But the reality is the way we organize our minds is through stories. And so if you want to make finance more accessible to more people, which I think we need to, Mm -hmm. and we need to do that because if finance is being demonized today. And to stop that demonization, we need people to understand it on terms that are different than equations and graphs. So the best way to do that is to tell these stories, Mm. which give the core intuition. They don't give all the nice, Mm. you know, pricing properties of Black-Scholes Merton, but you get the
0: core intuition, which is what most people need. Yeah, and it's a point of departure for you to just start learning the concept. Exactly, and then
1: you've got the the student. Mm -hmm. You know, in a way, you know, pedagogically, what I always try to do in a classroom is, you know, if you have a phenomenon, you can kind of come at it this way, and you can kind of keep coming at it this way. But That doesn't help people. Usually, the most powerful thing to do in a classroom is to go at it this way, and then to go at it this way, and then to go at it this way. So people can kind of get one of those methods, and they can see the phenomenon in different ways. And this is just yet another different kind of way to do that.
0: So just changing tracks, you know, at CFA Institute, uh, we are quite concerned about how finance works uh, for the society and for the larger interests of the people, right? And uh, many of our members, especially here in India, uh, are young members who are just starting their careers. Uh, What advice do you have, uh, you know, from all the things that you talk about in your book uh, of how they should think about their careers and how they should act?
1: Well, so the first thing to say is uh, you've made a good choice, which I think finance is a great place to build a career. It's not a great place to build a career solely because the returns are high. Mm. The reason it's a great place to build a career is intellectually, it's a very rich field. Mm. And so try to make your career about learning. And that's a general piece of advice for young people, which is um, too many people are interested in harvesting too soon. You should be investing in learning and your human capital for as long as possible. And the good news is finance has a lot to do in terms of that, which is you can there's complexity to the ideas and you can keep learning and learning and learning. Right. So the first thing is never stop being a student. Yeah, finance. this can
0: continue. You know, This it should, should
1: continue can. for life. In fact, the people who I know who are most successful in finance are always studying. They're not relying on rules of thumb or kind of some wisdom. They're relying on putting pencil to paper and working hard and learning new ideas. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you need a long horizon. You know, which is the problem with people in finance is they often have very short horizons. And sometimes they have short horizons because incentive structures give them short horizons. And sometimes they have short horizons just because they're impatient. When you're a young person, you want to think about a 50 year work life and you want a rewarding 50 year work life. And that means you have to keep investing. And that means you have to kind of think about things in broader terms and in longer terms than many people in finance do. So I think, you know, broadly speaking, I would say first, understand learning is central to your life and to your career. And then second, extend out the horizon that -hmm. you think, you know, don't, you know, young people tend to think life is over in five years. And the reality is, if you're lucky, you'll have a 40-year work life because work is hopefully going to be exciting and fun and central to your life.
0: Right, and 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 what's your advice for those who already at leadership positions because uh, they're the ones who are shaping the way the industry is evolving. Yeah, and often we find that they feel constrained. I'm in this large organization. I've been tasked with this job, and I'm there is competition, there is regulation, and mm-hmm. I'm powerless. So I just run with you know as long as everybody's dancing, I have to dance as well. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, what what do you do? Yeah, that is a really significant problem, mm-hmm. and I think ultimately you know you have to look yourself in the mirror when you wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. and you are accountable for your behavior, and you're accountable for the of organization. And so anytime you pursue a logic of, well, he's doing it, so it's okay, you have a problem. Uh, you have to ask yourself whether your actions are guided by your philosophies and by your beliefs, and to look inside for that answer, as opposed to looking at what another player is doing. Mm-hmm. So we need leaders who are willing to first kind of look within themselves for that answer, as opposed to looking around to seeing what everyone else is doing. Um, and then second, to really communicate that throughout an organization so that they are not just financially savvy and smart and viewed that way, um, but they're real thought leaders in terms of where the profession should be going. I mean, ultimately, you know, trust is so central to finance. Uh, and we have a lack of trust and the absence of trust in many financial products and many financial institutions. So leaders have got to be able to both be incredibly smart financially and to understand all those ideas and yet at the same time, credibly, credibly, communicate that trust. And so I think that's the real difficulty for most leaders because they've come up through being smart about right. finance right. and then they have to become in some sense, a broader thinker. And that's in part what the book is trying to do.
0: Mm. And you also talk about uh, the way, um, you know, hubris strikes and people get carried away with ambition and all the, you know, the the bad side of the personality emerges. Uh, uh, How how does, how should society deal with such things?
1: So I think this is, I think the biggest problem in finance is that um, hubris takes hold. Mm. And in a way, you know, that's what we have to account for, which is we have bad behavior in finance. Mm. Why does it happen? You know, my explanation for why it happens is finance is quite unique in the way that feedback is received and processed for people in finance, especially investors. Mm-hmm. So what's unique about finance is every day, every hour, every minute, you're getting feedback about your actions because of an investment decision. And that feedback loop typically takes the following form because most human beings are like this. Everything that's good that happens is because of me mm-hmm. and everything that bad that happens is because of the world. Mm-hmm which is a terrible pattern. And in finance, it gets accelerated because it's happening every day. Mm -hmm. It gets inflated because the dollar amounts are enormous and leverage makes it even bigger. And that feedback looks super precise. I'm up 10.2% today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all of that makes people have these attribution errors. And then if you believe that long enough, you're gonna become a jerk. (laughs) Because you believe that everything that you did that was good is yours. And everything that bad that happened was because mm. of the world. And so I think the humility is what is really required in finance, right? Which is you have to understand that luck is a big piece of the puzzle in finance. Really cool. And in fact, that's one of the great lessons of finance, which is luck and mm. skill are deeply intertwined right. and we can't tell them apart, but for over very long horizons. If you, if you understand that, you know, you'll be more humble. And I think that humility is what we need more of in yeah. finance.
0: So, and uh, so, so that's so we really need all more and more of these kind of conversations, so that we're talking about it at all levels all the time.
1: Absolutely, right? and it's a generational yeah. thing, you know. Meaning, yeah. I think um, people want to fix finance like yeah. this, and the answer is it's going to be generational, and we need younger people to understand. I think the humanity of yeah. finance, as opposed to just the the spreadsheets and the screens uh, that they currently think about.
0: Thank you so much, Meher.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you.
0: Copyright 2019.
1: All rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.